new. This morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And I want to preach what I think is a key truth for the days ahead. As we look toward the new year and look forward to what God has for us, we've seen some great victories. We've seen some wonderful things take place this year. But as we prepare for next year, and by God's grace, I will be sharing some in next Sunday's sermon on a renewed vision of what God has for us in 2023. But for us to go into that with the heart that we need to have, we're, we're getting ready in just a few weeks our Chest of Joash offering, first Sunday of December, and we're preparing the Chest of Joash offering has, has been the means every year by which uh, the vision of our church has been fueled and has been enabled. The buildings that we have uh, provide, God has provided for us and to be able to have these without debt hanging over our head, to be able to engage in mission work around the world. Uh, next Sunday, we'll also have sharing in the service one of our missionaries, Kevin Fowdy, who has served in Haiti for years and we've been a part of his work and, and uh, we've also this year been able to help um, establish, uh, build a building for one of their churches in the Dominican Republic. And so there's a lot of great things that have taken place and we need to begin praying now, God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to do in order for the work for this coming year to take place? And what would God have? Look, we, we don't have a set amount. We have what God speaks to you about. But as we prepare for that, there can be in our service for God and our work for God and our worship for God, there can be a loss of our joy. Our joy can need to be renewed. There's a number of reasons why this takes place. I was reminded of a, a service, a conference that a man shared about. He went and he preached at. And during this particular service, uh, they passed out to each individual who was in the service a red balloon filled with helium. And they asked them, they said, at whatever point during the service, just as an expression of joy, we want you to re release that balloon. I don't know that we would want to try that in here. That'd be, it'd take all week before the next Sunday to clear out the red balloons from the ceiling. We did have a ladder here earlier, and I thought I was going to have to preach from it. It was about a 10-foot ladder. So, uh, but they, they released the balloons. They said when they got to the end of the service that over a third of the people had still not released their balloon. They had not expressed joy in the worship of God. Now hear me carefully when I say joy. I'm not talking about what is often identified as symptoms of joy or expressions of joy. Now obviously there are ways. The Bible says our mouth, we were filled with joy, our mouths were filled with laughter. There can be visual expressions. But sometimes this joy resides within our hearts and different ones of us express it in different ways. Some people are very open and expressive with their joy. Others feel that deep joy in their heart. And sometimes we weep for, with joy, tears of joy. And so it can be expressed in different ways. So be very careful about judging another person how they express their joy and say, well, they don't, I don't think they have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord, our joy, can need to be renewed for a number of reasons. There's a lot of things, and I, I thought through some of these and jotted some of these down. Sometimes our joy needs to be renewed because of unconfessed sin. When people say, I've lost the joy of the Lord, the first thing that we want to identify is, is there a sin that needs to be confessed? Now, there are other things, and it may not be sin, but it can be sin. In fact, David said in Psalm 51 when he had sinned 
against the Lord and against Bathsheba and against Uriah and had lied, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. His joy was gone because he needed to confess the sin in his life. So there may be some sin that needs to be confessed, but that's not always the case. Sometimes there's a lack of joy because of incomplete obedience. God has told us something to do, and we have refused to do it. Uh, Jonah was certainly not feeling the joy when he was in the belly of the whale. And some people, I think, are going through a whale experience. They're having a whale of a time, and it's not a great, that's not a great thing. F.B. Meyer, the great preacher from over 100 years ago, said when people came to him and they said, Pastor Meyer, I feel like I have lost the joy of the Lord. I don't have my joy. They would, he would, said the first thing he would ask them is this. Is there something God has told you to do that you have not obeyed, that you are not doing? And he said they, many times they would immediately say, well, yes, I remember that moment. And he said, when you obey when you do what God's told you to do, then that's when you'll have your joy. And I believe that there are many people who can't feel the joy. They've lost the joy of worship and they've lost the joy of serving God because there's a place of a lack of obedience in their heart. There's other reasons. Self-reliant service. Trying to do God's work in my strength. Boy, that'll take the joy out of serving God immediately. Thinking we can do it in our own strength. Misplaced priorities. Looking at the wrong things for our joy. Thinking this will give me joy. There's a lot of things this world tells us will bring joy, and it doesn't. Unhelpful overthinking. How many overthink? No, don't raise your hand. Some of y'all are sitting there thinking... Should I raise my hand or should I not raise my hand? If I raise my hand, they're going to think I'm an overthinker. And if I think, it's a good sign you probably are. But a lot of people can never find joy because they constantly analyze. Now, look, I'm all for reason and logic and thinking. I, I love to think. My mind's running pretty much 27 different directions at all times. If y'all knew what was going through my mind while I'm preaching, you'd be surprised anything coherent ever came out. And it may not be coherent when it comes out. But so I'm all about thinking, but there's a danger if we start over, we can lose joy and it begins to steal our joy because we're constantly trying to think through and we're overthinking things. Unresolved bitterness and anger. Some people are not joyful because they're holding a grudge. Someone has said that bitterness is like drinking a poison and hoping the, po the person you hate dies from it. That's exactly what bitterness, and it saps, it steals our joy. Unhealthy comparison and discontentment. Comparison is the thief of joy. You start comparing things, you start looking. You know, it, it's sort of like kids at Christmas. I know none of y'all ever did this, but sometimes you see a child at Christmas and they open their present, and man, they are just excited, it's great, it's wonderful, and it's, they're just thrilled with it. And then later in the day, their cousin comes over to their house, and they got the Millennium Falcon, Star Wars edition. Now, this is getting a little too particular, so y'all might think I'm telling my personal story, but it's not. It really... They see what that other person has, and it's like, now, no longer does what I have seem, of that, it sound, seem that great. I'm not content. I don't have joy. Now I wish I had what they had. And then we grow up. 
And we're excited about our new car, our semi-new car, until we see somebody that got one that's a little bit nicer. And we're glad about where we live, and we have joy, and we find joy in our things until we see somebody else, and we begin to compare. And we go on social media, and we see people who are, you know, they say that, you know, the definition of a tropical depression is when you see your friend's vacation pictures from the tropics. <laughs> and you see those things, and what brought you joy that you were having that contentment, or that, that, that uh, comparison breeds discontentment and lack of joy. But probably one of the most challenging things, and it's Paul's example in this passage we're going to look at this morning, the greatest thief of our joy is undesirable circumstances. There's something in our life that we feel like is taking our joy. We're in a situation that we wish would change. We're around people we wish we could change. Don't look at the people sitting around you and husbands and wives. Don't be looking at each other. There's things in our life, there's circumstances, and we wish we could change those, and our joy is gone because of those circumstances. Paul was in a similar situation in chapter 1 and verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul's in some undesirable circumstances. He is in prison because he has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has not committed a crime. He has not done anything evil. He is falsely accused, but he is imprisoned, not in a pleasant not in a padded bunk and not with a television with, with TV and all the streaming services. He doesn't have all the luxuries. He has nothing. He is chained in a stone prison, probably in the most dis, least desirable circumstances you can be in. And he says, these things that have happened to me, my bonds, my chains, my imprisonments. And yet, he takes the time to write the book of Philippians. I believe, actually, we're going to head to Philippians next Sunday in Sunday school. So make sure and be here in your Sunday school class next Sunday morning, and you'll study more about the book of Philippians. But he writes a book that 19 times he uses the word joy, rejoice, rejoicing, because the theme of this book is the joy of the Lord. What an amazing thing that a man who is in prison, a man who is bound in chains, a man that is not free to do what he wants to do, is filled with joy. And he writes a letter to the church at Philippi, and he writes a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit for us, for us to know that we are to have this kind of joy. The Bible's clear about this. James chapter 1 and verse 2 says that Trials and persecutions are occasions for joy. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into these kind of things, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience, and let patience have her perfect work, that you may be mature, that it's working toward our spiritual maturity, and we can joy in that. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John said they rejoiced to be counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that suffering brings joy to believers because it unites us with Christ's suffering. 
that as he suffered, we join with him in that suffering. And Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 7 of having joy in the midst of affliction, and that's where he is in this moment. So where does Paul find his... Where can we find our joy? Well, the, the important thing is, is that we find our joy in the right place. You see, we can fix all those things. If we have unconfessed sin, we can confess those sins. We can fix that. If we have issues around us, we can try to adjust our circumstances. We can try to do all these things. We can try to resolve issues in our relationships and in our family and with our friends to try to create joy. And we can, we can do all those things. But the problem is, is that all those things change. And our joy is most found. The greatest renewer and restorer of our joy is not in what we fix. It's in whom we focus on. Because all those things change, but Jesus never changes. Jesus is the one who is the source of our joy. Fundamental to our understanding, to a biblical understanding of joy, is that it is founded in the works of God. And the primary work of God is His work in the gospel and our salvation. That name of Jesus that breaks every stronghold. That name of Jesus that sets prisoners free. That name of Jesus that brings healing. That name of Jesus that has the power to save. And that's where Paul finds his joy. Sitting in a prison cell, listen to what he says. I want you to see two truths to understand how does the gospel renew our joy. First of all, the gospel gives us a joyful purpose. Look in verse 12. I would you would understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul found his purpose in the gospel. One of the things that this world is anxious about and fearful about and disturbed about and they're distraught over is that they feel like they have no purpose in life. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why is there any reason? Why do I do all the things that I do? Why do I work so hard? Why do I push? Why do I work hour after hour every day and week after week? And why do I do these things? And they say, I have no purpose. And we have a whole generation that has grown up and is becoming adults and into their adulthood that have no purpose in life. And many times, the generations before, we feel like our purpose is gone and it changes. But our purpose is found in Jesus Christ. Our purpose is found in Him. And Paul is able to say that I find a joyful purpose in the gospel. It first of all gives purpose to our trials. Can you imagine going through the trials that this world goes through and finding no purpose in it at all? But for believers, there is a purpose. There is the purpose that it is developing and deepening our faith. There is the purpose that it is furthering the gospel as it does for Paul. There is the purpose that there is a greater glory to be received, Romans chapter 8. There is a purpose that it brings glory to the Father. There is a purpose in our trials. Paul sees it here. Paul says that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather for the, purpose, for the furtherance of the gospel. What a powerful truth. The purpose that we have. The sovereign control of our trials. The word there that we see is fallen out. The phrase we see is fallen out. We would tend to think that that's just some kind of accident. 
But that word is not an accidental word. That word for fallen out means a distinct motion from one place to another. There is purpose in what happens in our lives. It is not mere chance. And so I can look at my life and I can see things that other people may say, well, that would steal my joy. And if I'm living in the flesh, it will. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, I see that God is in control of my life and God has a purpose. And He is moving me purposefully, not randomly about. He is moving me from point A to point B. And Paul sees that and he says, look, there's a reason why this is taking place in my life and I will rejoice because it is furthering the gospel of Jesus. The sovereign consequences of our trials, he says, for the furtherance of of the gospel. And notice the word rather. He said instead of doing what it looked like it was going to do, it did something good. What we expect to be bad, God can turn for good. How many of you have ever experienced that? Can I get a testimony to that this morning, an amen? That you have experienced something that seemed bad, but God turned it for his good and your good. Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. You who by evil hands took the Son of God and crucified Him. He was foreordained by God to be our salvation. What seems to be bad, what seems to be evil, so we can look at those situations and we can find our joy not in the changing things around us, but in the unchanging One who is our satisfaction and our delight. The gospel gives a joyful purpose, but Paul also has a joyful passion. Notice his passion for the gospel in verse 14. Many of the brethren of the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He goes on to describe that there are two people that are responding to his imprisonment. There's those who are thinking to add affliction to him, they think it'll make things worse for Paul if they're out preaching the gospel. Paul's been thrown in jail for preaching. We'll go out and stir up more trouble. And the matter they are about the gospel being preached, the more trouble they'll make for Paul. So let's go out and let's preach the gospel, not because we want people to get saved, not because we want them to hear the message of the gospel, but because we want to hurt Paul. And then there are others, he said, who are preaching the gospel because they are preaching it sincerely. And you know what Paul says? Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm praying for the, the one crowd, but I'm praying against the other crowd. No. Paul says, Paul has such a passion for the gospel. <laughs> he says, I don't care. Either way, Christ is preached. And I rejoice and will rejoice. Paul's joy was in the gospel. Paul's joy was in Christ. Some things are just too important. I remembered a, a great story I read some time back. I believe it was the Mercedes-Benz company that had developed a safety feature on one of their, one of their vehicles. It was a, 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 an energy-absorbing car body that when there was an accident, it would help prevent damage and help preserve lives. They took out a patent on it, but they refused to enforce it. They refused to enforce their patent on this thing because this is what they said. They said, some things in life are too important not to share. Two, some things in life are too important not to share. I want to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is too important not to share. And Paul could say, look, I don't care what happens to me. 
I don't care if they come in and tighten my chains up. I don't come, care if they come in and smack me around. I don't care if they take my water ration. I don't care what they do to me. As long as the gospel of Jesus Christ is being furthered, I rejoice in that. We rejoice in Christ regardless of what's taking place in our life, regardless of what's happening, because God will work it for the purpose of the gospel. What are the, what are the benefits of this? How, what does this matter? What does it do? One thing it does is it simplifies things. If I look at my life, instead of trying to fix a hundred things that are stealing my joy, you see, that's what we try to do. We try to deal with the symptoms. We try to fix all the symptoms instead of getting to the root source of the problem. We're trying to put Band-Aids on a bullet wound. We're trying, to, we're trying to deal with, here's my issue. This is what's causing me to have a lack of joy. Lord, if you could just change this situation, if you could just get me a new boss, things would be better. If you could just get me a, a new family member, if you could get me out of this situation, if you could get me out of this relationship, things would be so much better. And we want all the things in our life to be fixed. But our joy is not in the hun fixing the hundred things that steal our joy. It is found in the one person who is the source of our joy. So it simplifies things. Focus on Christ. Be filled with the Spirit and focus on Him. And then deal with the other things. But if you try to do all those things, it's sort of like when I, I used to, I've told you before that I tried to golf. And I'd get up and my friends would be like, now if you hold your head this way and your left arm this way and your right arm this way and you stick this leg out and come around, now come around too far back and they'd tell me 27 different things and when I walk up, now, now just walk up and be relaxed. Yeah. Another guy tried that at Olin Mills. Turn your head this way, lean forward this way. Now look natural. Doesn't happen. And most of us spend our lives trying to fix. We're trying to plug all the leaks. And it'll never happen. We won't do it. But we focus our attention. It simplifies things. Finding our joy in Christ and in the gospel, it satisfies. All these other things may be good and may be right. And there may be some blessing. There may be some joy around us. But Christ is the only one who will satisfy God gives us many wonderful gifts in this life that bring us joy. Our families and possessions and experiences and worship and all these things. But those gifts will only delight. Only the giver will satisfy. And Paul has found his satisfaction. Paul finds his joy. So find your joy in Christ. It's the only, he's the only one that will satisfy. It simplifies, it satisfies, and it stabilizes. All these things change. How quickly something can change in just a moment. Someone shared with me just this week, a family, their daughter, just at college age, 20, 21 years old, no physical issues, no physical problems, had an aneurysm in her brain, and by just a matter of hours was gone. We find great joy in some good things in our life, maybe our family, gifts that God has given to us. But those things can be gone in just a moment. And if that's the source of our joy, not just part of our joy that comes from that source, 
The only way that our family and our, our possessions and all the things God gives to us will give us joy is if we are found because of who gave them to us. They can be gone just like that. And if that's the sort, but Christ is the unchanging one. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is unchanging. It stabilizes our joy. Instead of joy in changing situations, our joy is found in an unchanging Savior. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that Jesus never changes? Aren't you glad that when our circumstances and our situations may go astray and may go the wrong direction, and when problems come and whatever comes, we can find our joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. I'm thankful for that joy. So how do I find my joy in the gospel? Let me, in closing, give you four simple things. This first one's going to be very complicated and profound, so you're going to have to listen really, really closely, okay? Are y'all listening? We got your thinking caps on? This is, a, this is a complex truth. How can I find my joy in the gospel? Number one, ask for it. Ask for it. David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. What is he doing? He's asking God to restore his joy. The first thing you may need to do, and in a moment we have the invitation, you may need to step out from where you are and come down here and simply say a prayer simply like this, Lord, restore my joy. Restore the joy of my salvation, the joy that is a gift from you. Ask for it. Aren't you glad that he said, whosoever asks, receives? Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Seven of y'all know that verse. Knock and it shall be opened. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those that ask Him? He spoke this of the Holy Spirit. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love and then joy. Ask for it. Number two, watch for it. Watch for it. God has already given so many things to give us joy if we just look for it. Some people are missing their joy because they're looking in the wrong places and they miss the obvious things right in front of them that should bring joy. I've been reading and studying for some time, a number of times, about the, uh, the, through the Book of Lamentations. Book of Lamentations is a bummer. Let me just tell you. It's a, if you want to be depressed, read the Book of Lamentations. But in the midst of this deep, dark night of the soul, there are glimmers of silver, there are diamonds in the night sky of the truths of who God is. And the writer of Lamentations sees those truths and he finds delight in the midst of the deepest grief and lamentations you can imagine. And it is the glory of God, that the glory of who God is, that he sees and it renews his hope, it renews his joy. Look for what God has already given. Look for it in the person of Christ. Fill your mind with Christ. Fill your mind with the truth of Christ. Read and listen to the Word of God. Listen to music that feeds your soul. Fill your mind with the truth of Scripture. Fill your mind with the things of God. There are those that I know who are facing fear and anxiety and so many Powerful works in their minds and in their lives. And the first thing that they need to do is to get their mind 
emptied of all the things of this world, all the darkness and all the evil and all the depressing things, and fill their mind with the truth of God. It's no wonder some people are so down in the dumps. Got the mully grubs. How many of y'all know what the mully grubs are? Literally was seven that time. I usually just say that, but seven. They're down in the dumps. They, they're miserable because they fill their mind with things that depress and discourage and are dark and are devious and devilish, and they're filling their heart and mind with that. Fill your mind with Christ. Find your joy in Him. Look to Him for that hope and that joy. Look for the joy in the provision of Christ. All the things that we have in Him. In Ephesians 1, Paul said, I am praying that you will know the riches that you have in Christ. Look for joy in the preaching of Christ. Find ways to remind yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of what you have in Christ. Remind yourself of what God has done for you. Remind yourself that you have been saved, that you have been redeemed, that you have been justified, that you have been adopted into His family. Remind yourself of the price that Christ paid on the cross. Preach the gospel clearly to yourself and remind, you, remind yourself of the gospel. Look for joy in the people of Christ. Spend time with others who find their delight in Jesus. There are some people that you just... Let me just say this. If you hang around with people, birds of a feather flock together. You hang around with people that are bitter and angry and discouraged all the time, you know what you're going to become? Bitter and angry and discouraged. You hang around with people that have no joy of Christ in their heart, and you know what? You're going you're to have a lack of joy of Christ in your heart. Now, I'm not saying don't try to be an encouragement to people who are discouraged, but I am saying that we need to find others who find their delight in Christ and rejoice together with them. Number three, ask for it and watch for it. Number three, fight for it. Fight for your joy. These things that come to steal it, don't give place to them. Fight the battle. There will be constant attacks on your joy in Christ. But I'm glad that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Confess that sin. Obey that command. Do those things that God's told you to do. Quit trying to find your satisfaction in the things of this earth. Quit trying to find your joy in things apart from Christ. Fight the battle, and every time your mind goes there, set boundaries around it, fighting the battle, taking every thought captive into obedience of Christ. That's, the, that's where we fight the battle. Lastly, believe for it. Ask for it, watch for it, fight for it, believe for it. Experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. Experience the joy of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Instead of trying to manufacture joy. You know, that's what Christians do. We know what the fruit's supposed to look like, so we try to, we try to create it. It's like the fruit that used to sit in that bowl on your aunt's kitchen table. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It looks like fruit, but it's not fruit. We know what it looks like, and we try to, we try to manufacture it. 
But you find a fruit tree or you find a vine where the life is flowing and that fruit just naturally flows out. That's what it's like in a Christian. We can try to, we can try to manufacture joy all we want to, but when the Holy Spirit is flowing through us, so believe for it. Instead of trying to manufacture joy, seek to be completely surrendered to Christ, filled with the Spirit, and let Him produce the joy. And when you see that joy beginning, celebrate it. Rejoice in your joy. You may see just the beginning. It may not come full bloom. You may just see a blossom. Next to our house, we have a rose bush, and every once in a while, we'll walk. It's Lynn's favorite kind of rose, and we'll walk out and we'll see little buds, and we celebrate those buds. You know why? Because we know that there's a bloom that's coming. And when you see those buds of joy that God brings into your life, and you see those buds that are the beginning, rejoice and celebrate. Rejoice in your joy because the bud means a bloom is on the way. And that's what God does in our hearts. He brings that joy. He's the one that does it. It is the Holy Spirit. So whatever's taking place in your life, whatever stronghold needs to be torn down, whatever is fighting your joy, whatever of those circumstances, and the things that I listed, there could be 10 or 20, 30 more. Whatever is the enemy of your soul, the victory is found in Christ Jesus. He is the unchanging source of our eternal joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the third century, there was a man who was preparing for death and he wrote his final words to a friend. He said this, It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they do not care. <laughs> they are masters of their soul. They have overcome the world. These people are Christians. And he said, and I am one of them. I'm thankful for the joy that we have. Do you need your joy renewed? Your joy in worship? your joy in your service and your work for God, your joy in your walk for God in your everyday life, it is the inheritance of every believer to enjoy the joy in Christ. I want to invite you this morning to come to Christ and say, restore my joy. Renew my joy. We have a great work ahead of us. We have a great task as a church ahead of us. We have a witness to live. We have a life to live, a walk to walk. And we need to be filled. This world needs to see believers who are experiencing the truth. Joy is the visible and experiential experience of the truth of Christ. And it fills our hearts. May God renew your joy. Let's bow for prayer. Does your joy need to be renewed? Are there things in your life, circumstances that are fighting and keeping you from experiencing that joy?
Maybe you're not finding the joy in your service for God like you once did. You're just going through the motions. Maybe you're not finding your joy in the worship like you once did. There was a time when the song stirred your heart and you raised your hand to express the joy of your heart. You, you expressed, you spoke your joy. Is your walk with Christ filled with joy? This morning I want to invite you to come and bow in the presence of God. Bow around the sides of this altar or you can bow at one of the front seats or sit on one of the front seats. But I want to invite you to come this morning. Let God renew your joy. Father, speak to us in this moment of invitation.